The following is a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church in Port Rowan, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit livinghopebiblechurch.ca. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Living Hope Bible Church podcast. We are beginning our podcast by looking into the book of Colossians. We're beginning our series as we look at the greatness of Jesus. He is our King, our Lord and Savior. What does that mean for our lives? Today's message is from Pastor Mark. He's the lead pastor at our church. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you again this morning together. I know it's a little bit different. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit odd or awkward. And I don't know about you, but I, I think I got to see if I can get my wife to make me a face mask for wearing because I suck that thing right in. Did anybody have that? Were you, were you, all right, can we laugh? Let's just laugh together real quick. That's, did you ever think we would be here having to wear a face mask in church? So we can all agree that it is awkward. It's awkward, right? Yes, but you know what? Praise God that we still have the opportunity to gather together and sing high. And even when we suck that mask in, we've got to breathe. We'll still sing. So um, note to self, get a mask. <laughs> but no, it is really good to, uh, to be here together, uh, worshiping, uh, still lifting higher voices uh, in this time. And uh, I'm really excited uh, to be jumping into a, uh, a new series that we're going to be starting. Well, actually, it's not entirely new. Uh, four weeks ago, Mark, Mark Sheldrake started this series in the book of Colossians. And we're going to be looking at the uh, supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. All right? And so uh, as, a, as a way of reminder to you, uh, flip in Colossians. We're going to look at chapter 1. And I'm going to quickly just, in a nutshell, remind you of what Mark kind of walked us through and what Paul is doing. Uh, but if you want to listen to that message, I really encourage you, if you missed it, I encourage you to listen to it because it'll help you get some context here, and he'll walk through the first part. We're also going to have it on our website in a podcast format, and, uh, and, and we're going to kind of go through this series and have that available as well. And so, um, yeah, so excited about this. Now, just as a way of reminder to you, though, remember that Paul was the one who wrote this letter, right? Paul wrote uh, a lot of the, uh, of the epistles that we have in the New Testament, but specifically, he wrote this letter to a church. Now, it's a little bit different. Do you know why it's a little bit different? Do you know why this letter is a little bit different um, for the Apostle Paul to write? Do you know what's different about this church specifically? Does anybody know? Anybody remember? Well, specifically, Paul, I know, I, I got to remember, I, I'm, we got to learn how to talk to each other again, so I got to remember this. But Paul specifically, he wrote this letter to a church that he did not what? He didn't go to. He didn't plant this church. Uh, what's amazing about this church and what's amazing about the person that planted this church was his name was Epaphras and he heard the gospel preached through Paul and as a result of the saving work of Jesus Christ through the, uh, through, um, the gospel being proclaimed, probably in Ephesus, Epaphras heard it, was transformed and brought the gospel to Colossae and he preached there and people came to Christ and were part of the family of God and thus the church was born in Colossae. All right? The church started to, um, started to form, and all as a result of Epaphras' faithfulness and being a faithful minister of the gospel like the Apostle Paul. And so here, Paul is going to write a letter. He, is, sorry, he has, uh, wrote this letter to the Colossian believers to um, make, have them understand some things about Christ and how they are to live as a result of Christ's work in their life. And so we discovered four weeks ago 
that, uh, that Paul started out by praying for the church, by praying and encouraging them and letting them know um, what he desired God to do in their hearts. Do you remember that four weeks ago? Do you remember what he prayed for? He prayed that God would give them wisdom and knowledge of his will. It says here in, uh, I think it's in, um, yeah, in verse 9, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So why? Why be filled with the knowledge of the will of God? So that you can walk worthy of the calling that you have received in Christ Jesus. And so specifically, Mark focused on the understanding of being in God's word. In order for you to understand God's will, you have to understand God's word. You do not know the will of God if you do not know the word of God. You need to know the word of God to know the will of God, and the will of God you need to understand through the word of God. And so we were encouraged that way, but Paul is praying that the church will understand the will of God, will understand and will walk worthy and, and pleasing to him. You see that in the text in verse 10, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. All right, it's not some just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to understand more about the Lord as I just kind of think about him. No, we understand more about him through the word. And then, he, then Paul goes into praying that um, the church would be strengthened with all power, that um, they may walk in his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Don't we need that today? All endurance and patience in this time with joy. It's, it's, we need that now, especially as we are facing different things, right? And we're, we're squeezed into an, uh, a thing that is uncomfortable with COVID now. And so he's praying this for the church. But what Paul does now is Paul is going to shift his thinking from what the Father has done to focusing specifically on the Son, Jesus Christ. And so if you look at the text here, look at verse 13. He says this, He, referring to the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And so now, through verses 15 through 23, he's going to talk about Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about, he's, he's going to talk about who Christ is, um, what he has done, and as a result of that, what he is going to, or what we as believers now are to do um, that, now that we walk with Jesus Christ. And so he really wants the church, the Colossian believers, to understand and have right thinking in their Christology, all right, and their understanding of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so he's going to walk them through this. Now, this is an amazing section, um, and, and we're going to kind of, if, if you don't know, listen, if you're, if, you're, if you're here and you don't really know about Jesus Christ, you're going to know exactly who Jesus Christ is, okay? And uh, for us who are believers in Christ, let, this, let these passages really encourage you. Let them fuel your faith. Let them embolden you and empower you to go out and proclaim Jesus Christ because these are amazing verses here. I'm so glad that we're walking through it now. So um, there is one overarching truth as we walk through these passages that I want you to understand and know and never forget, okay? One underlying truth, one overarching truth, it's this. And Paul's going to describe this, all right? There is no one like Jesus Christ, okay? One overarching truth that Paul is going to walk through and describe in all these verses is this. There is no one like Jesus Christ. Absolutely no one like him, all right? Now, aren't we so inundated with um, superhero movies today? Don't we have, like, tons of different superhero movies? Kids, 
You, you are students, whatever, whoever's here right now, I got to look around. I'm kind of glared. My glasses are so dirty. I tried to clean them, but it didn't work. Um, we just bombarded with superhero movies, right? And the world depicts all these um, superheroes and supervillains with all these powers. We got like Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, Iron Man, Hulk, like all these other ones that have all these kind of like they're heroes. They're here to save the day. And it's, it's, this is kind of what the world has created. But it's interesting when you think about it, every one of those, they all have their flaws. They all have their, um, their, the reality that they can't, they, they just, they can't do it all. They just can't. But with the pictures that we have of superheroes and, and people that are really strong and, and superpowers, there is no one in all the world like Jesus Christ. There is no one. No one like Jesus Christ. And so Paul is going to walk us through and describe that. So if you're taking notes, I haven't done this for a while. I haven't through our last series of Let Me Tell You a Story. Um, I didn't really have you take notes, but now you're going to get a whole whack of them, all right? So I hope you brought your pen and a paper with you, because we're not going to provide them for you. We love you. Bring your own stuff. <laughs> all right, so uh, I hope you can uh, take some notes but highlight some things. So the first point I have for you is this. That we just need to understand that that verifies there's no one like Jesus Christ. No one compares to Jesus Christ, all right? There is no one like him. No one compares to him. And no one is, has the authority of Jesus Christ. No one can do what Jesus Christ has done. No one can do what Jesus Christ continues to do. And no one will do what he will do when he returns. And he's coming soon, loved ones. And no one can do what he can do. So, let's see. What, what does... What does Jesus Christ, or who is Jesus Christ, and um, why does he do what no one else can do, or, or why can he do that, or no one compares to him, his first thing is this. It's a sub-point right in the text. You're going to see it. He is the image of the invisible God. There was no one like Jesus Christ. All right, why? Why does no one compare to him? He is the image of the invisible God. Look at verse, verse 15. See it there? See it in the text? You got your Bibles, right? This last three months, you've used your Bibles, right? Perfect. What does it say in the text? Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. There is, listen, no one compares to Jesus Christ because he is the image of the invisible God. Image of the invisible God. What exactly is Paul saying there? What does this word image mean? Well, um, this Greek word, um, ekon, is, it expresses two main ideas, okay? And the first idea is likeness. All right? So when Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, he's saying he is the likeness, as in an image or a coin or a reflection in a mirror. Okay? So first, this word describes, um, Paul, that, is, that Paul is using, describes Jesus as um, an image or a reflection. All right? So I have a quarter in my pocket, and I don't know if you have any coins on you, but uh, if you were to look at this quarter, you're going to see an image. You're going to see a picture of Queen Elizabeth II. I think it's her. It says it on here, so I assume it is. All right? But if you were to look at this, you see an image of who she is. It's a, it's a depiction, a reflection of, of her. Okay? In the same way, this is what Paul is saying. That's what this Greek word means, that, it's a re, that Jesus Christ is a reflection of the Father. But it doesn't just mean that. It carries a lot more weight to the word. So the first idea of this Greek word expresses um, likeness, reflection. The second is manifestation. Okay, uh, that is with the sense that God is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. He is fully revealed. Um, it, this word does not denote mere likeness 
or resemblance. It conveys the meaning that Christ is whatever God is. Spiritual, omnipotent, omniscient, holy, all the attributes of the eternal God. The idea here that Paul is conveying is that um, the glorified Son sets forth to those who behold him the nature and grandeur of the eternal Father. Um, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That's what Paul is telling us. When you see Jesus, you see God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. God with skin on it, on him. That's who you see. Um, it says in verse 19, look at, um, look at Colossians 1.19. He says this, for in him all, I want you to highlight, circle, squiggly line, smiley face, all, okay? Just so you remember this, okay? All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God. Philip said in John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be good enough for us. So he's speaking to them, he's instructing them, and Philip's like, show us the Father. And we just, if we see the Father, that'll be just great for all of us disciples. Listen to Jesus' response in verse 9 of John chapter 14. Note this reference. Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. He is fully God. Now, I know there's some thinking out there, and I, I know I've, I've said this before to us here at Living Hope. Um, there's some teaching out there that says that Jesus Christ set aside his divinity, his deity. That when he's in his earthly ministry, he set aside part of his deity, so he became man, and he took on flesh, and so we can kind of do what Jesus did, and um, we, can, we can do the operating, the same kind of works that Jesus did. Well, let, let's just be square again, okay? Um, Jesus Christ never ceased for a moment to be fully God in his earthly ministry. Fully God, fully man. Never set aside his divinity. He set aside his divine prerogative and his glory. He veiled that to, to humble himself and take the form of a man so that he could accomplish the Father's will on the cross. But he is fully God. When you see Jesus Christ, you see God in the flesh. If he were to show up today, well, we'd all be in glory if that were the case, but if you were to stand before her, you'd be looking at God, God in the flesh. And so Paul wants the, the Colossian church to understand this about Jesus Christ. No one compares to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the image of the invisible God. But look next of what he says here in the text. He says this, the firstborn of all creation. So he's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all, of all creation. Now, when he says firstborn, we can't think of firstborn in the lens of our Western thinking, all right? When we think firstborn, we think you're the first one to be born in the family. So I am not the firstborn. My brother Brad is the firstborn. I'm a middle child. Yeah, all us middle child, we all got it hard, didn't we? 
Um, so I was not the firstborn. Brad was. But see, the way that it worked in, in Eastern mentality was is they understood it to be the highest in authority. They were the one who inherited all the, the, the majority of the, the father's possessions. And so what this is referring to in this context here is that this word that is used, that Paul is using firstborn, it means preceding all others in time, space, or degree. The idea is that Jesus Christ is above all, is over all, and he, no one is above him. His rank is higher than all. That's who he is. And so um, this is what Paul wants the church to understand, that no one is greater than Jesus Christ. He is the highest one. Uh, Pastor Ray Stedman says this about this word in the Greek. It is most frequently translated, um, firstborn is most frequently translated in the sense of heir, the owner, the possessor of creation. So Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. He is over it all and uh, he is above it all. Now, when he says this, don't be confused. This does not mean that Jesus Christ was created by God the Father, all right? Jesus Christ um, was not the Son in the sense of God the Father had a relationship with, with, with God the Mother and now Jesus Christ. No, that's not what he's saying, all right? That's not true. And he tells us this in the next passage. Um, not only is Jesus Christ the firstborn of all creation, he is the creator and the sustainer of all things, all right? Jesus Christ is the creator and the sustainer of all things. So look at verse um, 16 now. So um, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation, highest in rank and authority, and he created all things and sustains all things. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Do you see that there? You see in the text? Who created all things? It's a Sunday school answer. Everybody knows it. Just, just whisper, just whisper, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus created all things. Kids, who created all things? Kids, kids, can you say it? Who created all things? Jesus, Jesus, absolutely. This is where we see in the text. Jesus Christ created all things. Now, what's all? All means all in this this text. All. (laughs) Not part of them, not some of them. All things. Jesus Christ created all things. The Father, through the Son, created all things. Jesus Christ created all things. All things. All right, now what things? Paul is specific. All right, visible. Visible here. We see this. He says, All things what? He's visible and invisible. So, what's the visible things that we see? Mountains? Jesus Christ created them. Um, The stars? Jesus Christ created them. The sun, the moon, the skies, all that. Jesus Christ created all things. He created Lake Erie. And he created land, animals, and he created human beings. Really? Yes, the psalmist says in Psalm 139 that we are knit together in our mother's womb. He created all things, all right? Visible to the eye and invisible. Do you see that? Invisible in the text? Now, what specifically is he speaking of invisible things? Look at what he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created for him. Created through him and for him. 
Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, that is the principalities that we do not see. That is the angelic heavenly host. That's all those pieces. There is some teaching going on in that day too about angels and different powers and different things. And what they were taught is that Jesus Christ was a creation of God, the Father, and he was like, like Michael the archangel or like Gabriel, one of the highest ranking. Um, no, Paul is refuting that right now. Let's just make it square. No, Jesus Christ created all things. He was not created by the Father. He has always been, always will be, always part of the Godhead. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. But he's also the sustainer. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You think Paul's making a point when he keeps saying all? All, all, all. How many times in the text there do you see all? He's making this point. Like he's making it clear to the church. He's making it clear to us that all things are all things. And he sustains all all things. I like how Wayne House says it. He goes um, about Jesus Christ. He is the cause of creation and he is also the bond that holds it all together. Braden uh, had a graduation as, as well as some other uh, students from the church, eighth grade graduation. And uh, as we went out to the school um, to kind of prep our vehicle and put things on, um, we had, they made a sign. I didn't make it. Braden and Kelly made it. Um, but they had a sign that we were gonna we were gonna stick on the vehicle, just like Braden graduating class of 2020, eighth grade, woohoo! And uh, so they did a great job with it. Um, but as we were putting things on, we had this sign. Now, if I were to put the sign on the uh, window, um, and I was just to set it there, and I use nothing to hold it, what's it gonna do? It's gonna fall down, right? It's not gonna stay. It's gonna fall down. It's gonna get stepped on and wrecked and everything else. But in order to make it stay, we use tape. On our windows, don't do it on your van side. It doesn't work good. You'll rip stuff off that you shouldn't. But on your window, we put some tape to hold it there. It bound it together so that when we drove, we didn't lose it. In the same way that tape held the poster, Jesus Christ holds all things together. He holds everything together. All things are held together by Jesus Christ. He is the sustainer of all things. All things. I think that's so encouraging. Like, how, is it, how encouraging is it, loved ones, to know that Jesus Christ holds everything together and that he even holds your situation right now? He knows exactly what's going on and he sustains his children through it. God's faithful. Everything is held together by Jesus Christ. That is awesome. So, there is no one like Jesus Christ. No one compares to Jesus Christ. And he tells the Colossian church, he is the image of the invisible God. Um, no one can say that and, and verify that. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. But now what Paul's going to do is he's going to shift from, the, from kind of the, the cosmos and all the created order this way, and he's going to start to shift to he is over the head, or he's over the church. He's going to, he is going to now shift to the new creation, okay? Look what he says here. Um, he says this in verse 18. So Jesus Christ is all these things, but he's also this. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So Paul wants the Colossian church to understand who Jesus Christ is, and he is over all things. All things were created in him, through him, for him. But he also wants the church to understand that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. 
He is over the church. This is who Jesus is. He is over the church. He is the head of the church. Church in the Greek, really, the meaning of that is called out ones. Jesus is head of all the called out ones, all the ones who are his followers, all the ones who are part of his body. He has called us out. This is such an important truth that we need to understand and that the church of Colossae needed to understand. Jesus Christ is commander-in-chief. and not, I'm not. As your pastor, I am not commander-in-chief here. Your elders are not commander-in-chief in the church. Uh, you... <gasps> are not commander-in-chief in the church. Jesus Christ is the commander-in-chief of his church. He is the head of the body. He is over the body, and everyone is under the authority of Jesus Christ. We, myself as a pastor and as elders, we are called to shepherd and steward and lead in direction and doctrine in the church, but we are answerable to Christ who is head of the church, not us. That's an important truth Paul wants them to understand. There is no one like Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ is head of the church. Why? Look what he says in the text. He is the beginning, okay? He started the church. It started when he entered this world, took on flesh. He called his first disciples. He called them out, and he taught them, and he sealed that up through his death and resurrection on the cross. And now the giving of the Holy Spirit, the church was birthed. But Jesus started the church, he built the church, he called out the called ones, he revealed the word of God, and he uh, showed it through his plan, through the resurrection and the Holy Spirit given. Jesus Christ is the commander-in-chief. He is the beginning, he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the first one to be resurrected from the dead. Jesus Christ is alive and reigning. He's alive and reigning. That's a big amen. He's alive and reigning. He is resurrected, and we will follow him for those who know him. Yes, all of us will be resurrected, but us who are saved unto life, and those who are not saved unto death. Jesus Christ is the head. And it says here, and he, and he, and he explains that, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminence is um, surpassing all others in superiority. He is overall. Now, why does Paul say that? He's making it very clear that he is head over all creation, and he's head over all new creation in and through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Overall, all of it, nothing uh, is that Jesus Christ is not head over. But I love this. Look what Paul goes into next. So, what do we have here? You with me? You with me on this? You seeing it in the text? You seeing it? So, no one compares to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the head of the church. But look at this, look at this. He is the reconciler of all things. Look at verses 19 and 20 now. And for him, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I've already explained that. Now look at this. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven? How? How? How has he done this? Making peace by the blood of his cross. Through the shed blood that, uh, that happened through the, through the crucifixion on the cross. Listen, Jesus Christ is the reconciler of all things. What does reconcile mean? It means to make right. 
again. It means to restore. But this word has an intensifier on the front of it in the Greek. I can't say it to you because I don't speak Greek. But uh, it's an intensifier, which means completely reconciled. Not like partly reconciled, but completely restored. Like a complete restoration to how it originally was intended to be in our relationship with the Father. Completely restored through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the reconciler of all things. Now when he says all things, understand this. This is not some universalistic statement Paul is making. Okay, Like all roads lead to heaven. No, Uh, no, no they don't. Um, the reality is, is this. Paul is saying all things in the sense of for those who are, are saved, who are part of the family of God, who have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been completely, fully reconciled. We fully reconciled, not partly, fully. We belong to God the Father through the Son. That's awesome. Not part of you, all of it. All of you, Completely. All right, But when he says all things, there's also going to be a reconciling of all the wickedness in this world. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is going to be a day when Jesus Christ returns and all those who are saved in Christ Jesus are going to be fully then, we will fully realize our reconciliation and redemption. But for those who are not saved in Jesus Christ, they're going to be, like us, given new bodies, but they're going to be given new bodies unto death. And that's how God is going to reconcile all things. He's going to take care of all wickedness, all evil, and death itself in the lake of fire. He's going to reconcile all things, and he's going to institute that day that he returns, and we are in glory, and, the, and, the, and all, all wickedness is done away with the new heaven and a new earth, and all things will be made new. That's awesome. Only Jesus Christ can reconcile man to God, the Father. Only him. No one else can. You cannot reconcile yourself. Your friends cannot reconcile you. Your parents cannot reconcile you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Only him. Only him. There is no one that compares to Jesus Christ. No one. I love that. For those of us who are saved, this is something we've come to realize through the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit. But something we need to constantly be reminded of. But I love what Paul says next. So, no one compares to Jesus Christ. No one can do what he has done for us. Look at verses 21 and 22, all right? So, no one compares to Jesus Christ, but no one can do what he has done for us. Look at the text now. It says this in verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Paul wants the church to understand some things about Jesus Christ. All right? He wants them to understand that he is the firstborn of all creation. Sorry, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the creator and sustainer of all things, that he is the head of the church, that he is the reconciler of all things, but also that no one can do what he did for us. Only he could do it. And what did he do for every born-again believer? He saved us. He saved you. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, he saved you. You didn't save you. He saved you. He drew you in through the power of his spirit and he saved you. He called you out. Why does he say that? 
He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach. Jesus Christ did this. He saved us. This is the reconcile. He saved us. What did he save us from? You who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. We were wicked sinners. Only, only producing works of unrighteousness. Even as we tried to produce good works. Jesus Christ saved us and delivered us from sin, from wickedness, from the punishment of sin, from doing evil always before him. He is now reconciled. So what does Jesus do? He saved us, but look at the text here. This is awesome. This is what Paul wants, us, wants the church, wants us to know. Look what he says. He has reconciled us by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. Do you see that? He saved us from our sins, and now what, we're gonna, what we have the privilege of is we are now presented before the Father as holy. Do you see that in the text? This, this is an amazing thought. This whole idea of holy means to be separated from sin and set apart to God. All right? The, the fundamental idea here, one commentator says this, is um, separation to God and from worldly defilement. It's the idea of taking something filthy and washing it and setting it apart for something brand new and useful for a different purpose. And this is what has happened in our lives through Jesus Christ. We have been washed by the blood of Christ and we are now made pure and holy and now do the work of God. We join in his work through his spirit. He's done this in our life. But not only that, have we been set apart? Listen, when, when the Father sees us, he sees us as covered by the Son's blood and we are holy before God the Father. Not blemished, not, not marked up. And why I say this? Because he says this. Right in the text, he says, and blameless. Blameless before him. Blameless literally means without spot or blemish. That's how the Father sees every one of his children. Holy without spot, pure. Sometimes we don't feel that way, do we? If we're honest with ourselves and our sin as we struggle, we feel like we're just like, God, how can you even look at me right now? How can you accept me for who I am? I'm just filthy at times. What's awesome, church? That's not how the Father looks at you. He doesn't look at you that way. He looks at you and sees the imputed righteousness of his son poured out on us through his blood and he sees pure. That's awesome. That's how the father sees us. Oh, Satan will tell you you're filthy. He'll tell you you're useless and nothing. God says you're holy and blameless because of my son. That's an awesome truth. But look at this, not just that. Also, Above reproach. Do you see it there? Above reproach before him. Above reproach means unaccusable. There is nothing that Satan can hold against us that we have not already been covered by through Jesus Christ's blood. That's awesome. Paul, Paul even says this in Romans 8, 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies we have been set free. We have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been set apart as holy. We have been set apart as blameless. And we are viewed as that way and above reproach in God's eyes through Jesus Christ. That is awesome. No one 
can do what he has done for us. Only he could do that. That is amazing. Now, look what Paul says here. I'm going to close with this. Look what he says. He says this. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, for which of which I, Paul, became a minister. What's he saying here? The reality is, is this. He's encouraging, and there's an exhortation and a, and, a, and a kind of a driving, like, keep going, keep continuing on here. He says, and you who were once alienated, doing evil deeds, now he's reconciled in his body, if indeed you continue in your faith. The reality is the, one of the defining marks of a true believer in Jesus Christ is their ability to endure. They will remain. They will remain. This is not Paul saying, listen, if you believe this, but then you kind of fall away and you don't believe it anymore, that's not what he's saying. Paul's not changing his theology here. He's saying that the reality is, is this is true of you if you are steadfast in the faith. And that's the defining mark of every true born-again believer is their ability to endure because we've been given the Holy Spirit, which is our guaranteed of the promised inheritance to come. So Paul is telling the church, listen, the reality is, as we remain in Christ, this, these truths are more fully understood and realized, but stay there. Don't be shifted in turn. Don't be shifted in your belief of Jesus Christ. Don't waver from the solid, sound truth of who Jesus Christ is. So the closing exhortation for us is this, loved ones. Don't waver from your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. This is who he is. This is what he's done for us. Hold fast. Don't waver. Don't move. Don't be shaken. Jesus Christ has saved us and will deliver us fully when he returns or when we go to be with him. Here's some powerful words that Paul wants the church to understand. It's so encouraging to us too, loved ones. Listen, listen. There is no one like Jesus Christ. No one compares to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. He is the head of the church. He's the reconciler of all things. No one can do what he has done for us. He has saved us. He has made us holy and blameless and above reproach. So listen, listen, listen. Don't waver from your trust in Jesus Christ. This is what he's done. This is what, he, what the Lord has done for us. And this is what we need to continue to do as we move forward. Rest in that truth. Trust him, believe him, and follow him. And don't waver. Amen. Amen. This has been a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church. For more information about our church, please head to livinghopebiblechurch.ca.